Mr. Falk. So, Mr. Falk, if you would come and bring the word. Thanks, Gordon. All right. Well, can you hear me okay? Mr. Flynn, can you change my voice? I'd like it a little bit deeper, more gravelly, please. Does that work on that? No? Okay. Well, we're going <laughs> to. Something like that. Uh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, I enjoy teaching each of you that I get to teach, and, and it's a privilege to be out in front and get to speak the Word of God. Um, you know, I think it's always so important, though, to understand that I feel very inadequate being here um, because, as Mr. Zenger said last week, I know me, and uh, God uses inadequate people, inadequate men, uh, to preach His Word. And I never want to take that for granted, and I never want to, to look at it in the wrong way. And so it's a privilege, but it's also a huge responsibility as well, and I look at it that way. Uh, it's great that we've been going through First Peter. I hope that you've been enjoying it and been being blessed by this expositional verse-by-verse -verse preaching uh, through the book. Uh, it helps to keep God's Word in context. There's a reason why all verses are in the Bible. And I think that's important, that sometimes, you know, some of the verses we're going to look at today, you might say, well, there's not a whole lot in there to deal with, um, but it is important that all the verses are there. There's a reason why God put it there and placed it in, in His Word. And so our job and our duty, okay, it's not just if you want to, it's your duty as a Christian is to study His Word and uh, to discover and learn what God's Word says and then apply it into each one of our lives. So we've had three weeks of very solid preaching and my question that I would ask to start out with is, what have you learned? If you evaluate, as you've sat through three different chapels, what have you pulled out of it? What has stuck with you? What's been hidden inside of your heart? And if you're struggling to do that, then I would ask you to evaluate, does this really mean anything to me? Am I really getting things out of it? We, we pray, we talk about, you know, God, help us to take things from this and apply it. And I hope that that is the case because God's word never returns null or void if you will listen and, and open yourself up to that. So I pray that this day you will apply truths from 1 Peter into your life, whatever they would be. And I want you to understand God's word is gold. It is so precious, it is so valuable. Don't miss this opportunity to learn, as well as all the other opportunities you have in this school and other places to learn about his word. So this morning what we're going to do is I want to look at the greatness of salvation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to probably take Pastor Childs and Pastor, Pastor Zanger's uh, sermons. We're going to look a little bit at some of that stuff in there because I think there, there still can be more that we can share. And I want to share a few things. Um, and then we're going to look at a few other things as well. But the greatness of salvation. And what we're going to do is I want to list 10 great truths of salvation this morning. And I hope that you would take these and, and really listen to them and, and think through them. But we're going to start, uh, I want to go back and it's just kind of a review. I know we've covered this already and we've covered it well. But I want to go back and look at this just a little bit more. First uh, Peter, and we're going to start in verse 3 and I want to read through 12. Uh, I've been uh, challenged to preach 10 through 12 and I want to go back because I think what you see in 10 through 12 has a lot of things to deal with before uh, as well. So we need to deal with this. So. In honor of, of God's word and respect towards God's word, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read a scripture this morning. So it's 1 Peter, we're going to start in verse 3, we're going to go down through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father God, we have sang songs of the salvation that you have provided through Jesus Christ. How amazing is that hope? How important is it to understand that hope? And so my, day, my prayer today is that as we look at the greatness of your salvation, and as we look at the great truths of your salvation, that you would be honored, that you would guard my words, that you would guide me. Give me the words that you would want me spoke, to speak. I just thank you for the school. I pray for each of these students that you would open up ears to hear. And I ask that you would uh, bless my words. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we're going to look at 10 great truths of salvation this morning. Uh, salvation is great. And, uh, you know, here's the problem that I find with our school and other places and Christians that have been around for a long time being Christian, it becomes pretty easy to become jaded to salvation. Yeah, Jesus saved me, and he did all this stuff, and, and I'm saved, and I'm going to heaven, and woohoo. There's nothing, there's not a fire and a passion in us that there needs to be. God's salvation is great. Do you consider God's salvation to be great? Because it is, and I want to show you 10 different truths today about great truths of salvation that we can find in this scripture alone. This isn't even a complete list, but we're going to look at these here. The first one, before we even get started, is that Jesus is salvation. He is the only way, truth, and life. And we need to understand that as we start to look at the great truths of salvation, that you will never be saved, you will never have eternal life with Christ, with God in heaven, if he is not your one and only true salvation. You cannot rely upon anything you do. Any of your works, nothing will save you. It is only Jesus Christ. And so as we read through these scriptures this morning, uh, what we read, I want to go back, and as I said, I'm, I'm not going to cover everything again, but I want to review, because what you're going to find here in these verses are the 10 great truths, or 10 of the great truths of salvation. And so if you look back to verses 3 through 5, this is what Pastor Childs covered a couple weeks ago. Uh, Paul is talking to Christians, right? Verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing, uh, he, the Holy Spirit is writing through Paul, and Paul is writing to the chosen, the Christians. 
people in what is now modern day Turkey, uh, and they are Christians that are struggling with a lot of things, and he's writing uh, a letter of encouragement to them, and a letter of hope in Christ, okay? Uh, But in verses three through five, he says this pretty much in a nutshell. This is paraphrasing. He says this, listen, those of you that are reading this, look what you have going for you. Look at the advantages that you have because you are Christian, okay? And he lists three different things. These are three things that apply to you and me as well in this day. Number one, you have been born again to a living hope. That's something that you have going for you that unbelievers do not have going for you. That is the second great truth of salvation, that you have been born again to a living hope. It's a hope that comes through the resurrected blood and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, Your heart has been regenerated. It has been changed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And because it's been turned to a heart of flesh, now you can respond to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That is huge. And that is a great aspect of salvation, that God has made you born again. Number two, you have an inheritance. What do you have going for you? You have an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that will never, ever fade away. And it is reserved for you as a believer. That's the third great truth of salvation, that there is an inheritance waiting for us who are true believers. Fourth great truth of salvation is found in the third thing that he says here. This is what you have going for you, Christians. You are protected by the power of God through faith in a salvation or for salvation yet to come. That God, by his power, is protecting you. And that is another great truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ that we must hold on to and understand. So Pastor Charles took 45 minutes to do that. I did that in about two minutes. But it is all true, okay? And that is truths that we need to hold on to. Moving on, verses 6 through 9 then, as we look through this, we see that these Christians are facing trials. And Mr. Zinger did an excellent job last week of, of talking through trials and all those things. Trials are never fun. You can ask, every one of you has, has dealt with a trial of some kind or another, okay? Uh, and what came out last week is this, and, and this is important to understand. We need to rejoice, not because we're facing a trial, but because of what is produced in you by the trial that you are going through. What is produced in you is faith. A faith in the Lord that you look to him as you go through the trial and say, God, I can't do this. I can't make this work. Only you can give me the ability to get through this. And God, help me. And I'm going to continue to hold on to this faith in you, knowing that I have something greater waiting, that great salvation that is waiting for me. So the trial is not the object of your joy. Never think, okay, so I'm in a trial, so i got to be joyful because of the trial that I'm going through. That's not the object of your joy. You're having more faith, trust, and reliance in God. That is the object of your joy. And I think that's important to understand. God's purpose in testing you is to display the enduring quality of your faith. We talked last week about the proof of your faith, that when you go through a trial and you come out the other side of it, 
and you still are strong and, and growing in the Lord, that's proof that you have genuine faith. Even though that trial is tough, even though that trial is hard to deal with, and even though sometimes in that trial you might feel totally, completely abandoned, God is still there. Acts 5. This is an amazing set of verses. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles are, are uh, told by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, quit preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And they won't stop doing it. And so the, they're arrested. And uh, after, it says in the, in the Bible here, they're flogged. Okay, The flogging is where they take the whip. It's what happened to Jesus before he was crucified. And they whip you on your back. And the Bible doesn't like go into all this emotional stuff. It just says they were flogged. And then they were let go. But can you imagine, I, I can't, but if you can, try to imagine the pain that they would have been in. The physical pain. Your back is all opened up. It hurts. It's a horrible, horrific pain that you're going through just physically. And what the Bible says there is this, that they rejoice that they had been considered worthy to suffer the shame of Christ. They rejoiced. Not because their back was all beat up and the pain is like, okay, I got to rejoice through the pain, but because of, I was found worthy. I'm looking at something other than the pain. I'm looking at my Savior and that I was faithful to Him. Acts 16, verses 23 through 25, same thing. Paul, uh, Paul and Silas, they're beaten. Uh, the people, I believe it's in Ephesus, don't like what they're saying. They beat them. Uh, they throw them in prison. And it says, well, Paul and Silas are in prison they're praising God by singing songs of hymns or hymns of praise to God. They're singing, even though they're all bruised and battered. They're not focusing upon the, the trial. They're focusing upon the God that gets them through the trial. So this is the fifth great truth of salvation. Christians can bear trials because we know something better is coming. We know someone better who is coming okay that we can bear those trials the greatness of looking towards god's salvation can get you through any and all trials you will face in life and i want you to hear that the greatness of god's salvation of looking towards god's salvation can get you through any and all trials you will face in life if you will remain faithful to the lord that doesn't mean it's going to be easy so I wanted to share with you uh, this summer, I had kind of an interesting experience that changed my perspective on trials a little bit. Um, I was uh, working for my cousin in, in a place and I fell out of the back of a truck and I broke or cracked my sternum with my ribs between my, my rib and my sternum. And uh, for the next five or six days, what I had to deal with was every, I had a cough that was going on at this time. And every time that I would cough, it was like somebody stuck a knife inside me and was twisting on it. And the pain was immense. It's the worst pain that I have ever felt. Um, and through that time, I prayed to God. God, help this pain to go away. Help my cough to stop so it's not going to be as bad. Help me get through this. And honestly, I didn't feel anything. I knew God was still there, but I still was in a lot of pain. Some of you maybe experienced something like that before. I never had. And it really opened up to me, how do I understand that God is there, and yet I'm suffering. And I, I was suffering uh, 
about as bad as I want to. I'm a wimp, okay? I'm a wimp. I don't want to suffer. None of you probably want to suffer either. Uh, but how do I deal with this? And it's really made me have to go back and evaluate and kind of deal with and look at and understand different aspects of trials and different aspects about who God is and what I need to understand and learn from that trial. So here's some of the things that I want to share this with you. Just because I trust in the Lord and look to him for help doesn't make pain go away immediately. And that is a lesson that you want to understand as well. Just because you're facing a trial, it doesn't mean the trial becomes easier because God, because I pray to you, all of a sudden, magically, everything's great. Because that doesn't happen all the time. It can happen. Don't ever put God in a box, but it does not have to happen. God can heal immediately, but he doesn't always work in that way. Most of the time, he doesn't work in that way. I found that out. All right? God sometimes allows pain to continue. I did it for five days. People do it for years upon years. I'm so thankful to the Lord that he took away my pain in about five or six days. I can't imagine some of the people who struggle with pain for years upon years. I'm still praying to understand, God, how, how do I need to understand and how do I learn? What do I learn from this in my life? Teach me through this trial. Is it helping me to understand so that I can be even more solid in my faith as other trials will come along because other trials will come along? So I'm trying to evaluate it. I, I'm even looking at, you know, did I really uh, find joy in the Lord in the time of the pain? And I'm still struggling with that. And I'm still dealing with it and praying through it because uh, I know what the Bible says. But is that, is that how I... It acted correctly. Is that, how I, is that how I dealt with things? So it's hard to go or to be going through a painful time when there's no relief. It's times like this where the per person's faith will be pushed to the limits. Joy can be hard to come by in those times. But it's the object of joy that must be focused upon. So my Bible class last week had them write an application from Mr. Zanger's talk. And I get this a lot, okay? Well, you know, one of the applications is I need to rejoice in the trials and trust in the Lord more. And that sounds really good. That's easy to say. You know what? It's something that I would say until I experienced this. I would say the same thing. Hey, you know what? Just trust the Lord. That's what you got to do. Find your comfort in him and it'll be okay. And I guess if nothing else, God has taught me that, you know what? There's more to it. There's more to this. Most of you, if not all, have had trials in your life. Most of you, if not all of you, have been faced with a trial that will bring you to, but most of you, I, let me get this right, most of you have not been faced with a trial that will bring you to utter despair, unbearable pain, and life and death circumstances. I think that's important. Where you are now, you have probably not experienced some of the things that people in this world have experienced that Christians have had to go through. We have it pretty easy here. And we face trials. There's all sorts of trials. Stone's facing a trial with his knee. Other people. But we don't have it like other people have. And it may be someday that you will have that. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared? I want to look at uh, a couple examples in the scriptures where you see there is a despair in Christian men and women in scriptures. 
that it's not just, oh, God's magical and he's going to fix everything and everything's going to be great. People go through times of discomfort, unbearable pain, life and death situations, and utter despair. And even in that time, sometimes God does not respond or move. And yet, they still trust him. And that's one of the things that I learned. I didn't feel God all of a sudden coming on his presence upon me and it got all tingly and I felt good. I didn't feel that. And it was a time of testing in my faith. Am I going to still trust in the Lord that I believed in or do I let that go and say, you know what, God, you're not doing anything for me, so I'm going to go find a different way. That's the proof of your faith. When you come through a trial and as you come out the other side, it's, you know what, I still believe and I still trust in you and I hope I trust in you even more and have experienced joy, and maybe later on, but come down and come back to joy. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10. This is Paul speaking. Listen to this. This is Paul, the great apostle, the guy that, you know, did everything for God and was on fire for him. And uh, do you know what God said about Paul when he converted him? When he told Ananias to go see Paul, he said, I will show Paul how much he will suffer for me and Paul suffered listen to this 2nd Corinthians 1 8 through 10 for we do not want you to be unaware brethren of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life this is Paul I'm to the point of death because of the despair and the pain and the suffering and the trial that I'm going through Indeed, we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God. You hear that? So even in this time of, of immense struggle, pain, despair, it was so I wouldn't trust in myself, but I trust in God. I trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. What an amazing verse to understand. Even Paul struggled with this. I'm to the point of despair, and my hope is still found in the Lord. If you go to Acts 27, you can see another story with Paul. Acts 27 is where Paul's on the ship, and they're out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and a storm comes down, and they're tossed about. Okay, the Bible, again, doesn't make a whole bunch of emotional comments and stuff like that they just kind of lay it out as the truth and, and talk to you through it do you know how long they were at sea uh on the verge of death in that little ship being tossed about by the waves and everything else 14 days now think back 14 days pastor Childs would have been here preaching to you 14 days of nothing but the ship all over the place, wondering every single moment, is this ship going to survive the next minute? 14 days of discomfort, of being fearful, of being scared. You face a trial like that? Jonah, three days in the belly of a big fish. I don't think Jonah was sitting down sipping tea, watching TV in the belly of the big fish. I think it was probably a very uncomfortable situation could he even move i don't know how much air did he have was it enough to, uh, it was enough to get him through but was it something where he could just keep breathing really easily was it somewhere it was really hard to breathe 
what was he dealing with in there? See, we just hear he was in the belly and he gets spit out. But do you ever think about the discomfort, the uncomfortableness? He talks about, I was even to the point of death. There's despair there. And yet God is faithful and brings him through that. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ says that on the cross as well. But the psalmist, God, you've abandoned me. Why? I don't feel your presence. I don't know what's going on. I, I'm alone. I'm in despair. See, Christians can have those reactions to trials. And you know what? This is the inspired word of God. And you see even Psalm 88 where there's a, a lament, a psalm of lament, and, and nothing's good going on. And it doesn't end with, oh God, and yet I'll trust in you. It just ends with, I'm in despair. And that's inspired by God. God understands that we're going to sometimes be in despair. But hopefully we would take that despair and look to the one that can take and give us comfort, whether it's then or later on. Job. We know the story of Job. Do you understand Job in his afflictions that Satan got to do to him? It says the Bible in the Bible he put boils from the top of Job's head to the bottom of his feet. Painful boils. How do you stand? How do you sit? How do you lie down? Where can you go to get rid of that pain? Where could Job go? He couldn't. There's nowhere. He has to be in that pain. It's so bad that Job says, in, in Job, uh, I believe it's chapter 3, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I were dead. Because this is unbearable. And what had Job done? Nothing. Except there was a trial and God was proving to Satan that Job would not curse God. Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah 20 says the same thing. Jeremiah curses the day he was born. So you see that there are many places in Scripture where people are in despair. They are struggling. And even though God is right there next to them, they don't necessarily feel that presence of God. Those are trials. And those are trials that you can go through as well. And they're trials that you will go through. I'll just guarantee it. You will go through them. History is kind of an interest, an interest to me. Mr. Mankin, you like history? Okay, I, I thought maybe you did. Um, did you know, after this letter at 1 Peter was written, about 50 years later, there is a non-biblical reference to this area where this letter was written to in 1 Peter. Uh, Pliny, the younger was a governor of the area of Bithynia. Bithynia is one of the areas that is written to in this book, to Christians in this area. Pliny is writing a letter back to the emperor of Rome, whose name is Trajan. And I'm just going to paraphrase this, but he says this. Hey, Trajan, I, uh, I find these people called Christians around in my area, and so I'm killing them because I'm worried about them not worshiping the false gods and, and gods and maybe something's going to happen there. Temples are going to go bankrupt and all that stuff. So I'm killing them if they won't uh, curse God, curse Christ, and uh, worship you. 
because the emperors were worshipped as gods. And uh, he says, I'll give them two or three times. You know, I'll pull them in and I'll give them a chance. And if they don't, I throw them back in jail. Then I'll bring them back and say, hey, I'm threatening you. You're going to die if you don't change your viewpoint here. And he says, you know, some of them have sadly changed. Some of them have worshipped the false gods, offered sacrifices to the false gods, cursed Christ, and so I let them go. But there's others that are stubborn. There are others that I don't get it. They're, you know, they're believing all these false lies, Christianity. He's an unbeliever. And so I kill them. Is that what you want me to do? And Trajan comes back pretty much and says, yep, that's fine. Don't go seek them out, but if you find them and they're doing that, then kill them. Kill them. That's this group of people. This letter was written to these people who 50 years later would be facing these kinds of trials. Life and death. Why could these people, all of them, face such horrific and terrifying pain and situations? Why could they face the trials and the sufferings that they went through? It's because through those trials, the greatness of God's salvation is seen. The lesson, this lesson, needs to be learned by you and me. It's never going to be fun, but we may never know why we go through it like Job, but we can cling to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt that nobody really understands God is still there? Even if God doesn't respond, he is still God, and will you trust him? He is still God. God doesn't always respond quickly to fix something for you, but he is still God. Will you continue to stand upon the rock that he is? So there's something better that we need to look forward to. That's salvation. That's what the Bible characters did, and they give a perfect example. Job says this, verse 13, verse 15, as he's going through the pain, he's still in the pain, and he says this, even though God slays me, if he'd kill me, I'll still trust in him. He repents later on of his uh, thinking that God is wrong. He repents. So we see there a response, a proper response. Psalm 22, at the end of Psalm 22, it says, I will praise you, Lord. Even though you, I feel like you've forsaken me and I don't feel you close to me and you've abandoned me, I will still praise you. That is the proper response that we look forward to. Why? Because it's of salvation. So what about this salvation? Here's your sixth great truth of, sal of salvation. God is the maker of it and the one who has revealed it to man through the prophets. God is the maker of it and the one who has revealed it to man through his prophets. Here's the thing about salvation that you need to understand. No one would ever come up with this. No one would ever come up with the plan of salvation. No one could ever come up with the plan of salvation. And if they could come up with it, they would never believe it or follow through with it anyway. So in verses 10 through 12, take the long way around to get here, what we see is the greatness of salvation through the perspective of God's divinely appointed agents, his prophets. And what does verse 10 through 12 say? It says that prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, that they prophesied about God's grace. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, they, when they were writing, uh, they would have known the grace of God, but the grace that you find in the New Testament with the Savior, after the Savior, is going to be even a greater exhibit of grace than what they would understand back in the Old Testament. They could not fully understand what would all be involved in the life and death of Jesus. 
you have the amazing privilege of seeing it from the other side of the cross. And we can understand the life and the death of Jesus a little bit more. The prophets of the Old Testament longed to see this. They longed to understand the grace that they wrote about in Scripture. They longed to understand who is this Savior that's coming? When is he going to come? They were interested in it, okay? Uh, why were they so interested in it? It's because the salvation that they were writing about is the exact same salvation that saves them. They're amazed at what they're writing about and they're looking and understanding, you know what? God is going to save me through what's going to happen in the future and I get to write about that now. That's the seventh great truth of salvation. That the prophets of old understood that this grace would save them. Not just for those that are on this side of the cross, but also for those that are before the cross. So, the Spirit of Christ, let's look at that just real quick. The Holy Spirit inspired the men to write about the amazing and glorious salvation that would be accomplished through the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit directed them to write about the sufferings, the life and death of Jesus, and the glories to follow. That's eternal life for those who will believe in Him. They were serving first. The prophets understood they were serving you people. They were serving the people in First Peter. That they were saying things that then the apostles and the preachers of the New Testament time had the privilege to declare and proclaim to these people in their situation that they were in now. And so this is the eighth greatest, or the eighth of the great truths of salvation. Throughout history, the message of salvation has never changed. The message has never changed. It is always the same. And so as we go through verses 10 through 12, what you see is you see the prophets writing it down, the Holy Spirit leading them to write it down, the New Testament apostles and preachers preaching the good news to people so that the message of salvation has never changed. The last thing that we're going to look at here, just real quick, verse 12, it talks about the fact that things into which angels long to look Part of God's eternal purpose is to show his wisdom to the angelic realm, to the angels through his work in the church. The idea is that the angels are bending over with intense interest and desire to learn. How in the world is God working with these people and what is he doing with them on this world? They're longing to understand that aspect of the church, the, the gathering of the body of believers. But even more, angels do not have a chance at salvation. Right? If an angel rebelled against God, he became a fallen angel. There was no redemption for him. There was no salvation for him. And when you look at what's going on here with all that Paul is talking or Peter is talking about with salvation, how great it is, these angels are looking at this and saying, How in the world can God take an unholy person, a sinner, and make him holy again? And so what you see is that the angels are making an effort trying to comprehend more of the mystery of the human salvation that takes place. They come and try to behold the wondrous mystery of salvation. It's a picture of the supernatural world eagerly observing God's program of human redemption. They want to understand how in the world can that take place. And that's the ninth great truth of salvation, 
that even the angels praise God for this salvation. That they want to understand and praise Him for this. What an amazing truth that is. So we're supposed to stop at verse 12, but i got to go to verse 13 because there's a conclusion of verse 13, and I don't mean to steal anybody's thunder for next week, but we have to finish this up. And the conclusion is found in verse 13. So what Paul says, okay, you're, you have all this going for you. You are going to face trials. Uh, there's great salvation that can be found. Just hang on to that great salvation and the truths that are there. But the conclusion that all that has happened so far in 1 Peter is this, verse 13. Gird your minds for action. Focus on the future. Keep sober in spirit. Be steadfast in pursuing the things of God. And fix or make immovable your hope and make it completely in nothing else other than the grace that you will receive when Christ comes back. Live for the future. As you go through all this stuff, remember what you have, but live for the future. And understand that that is what we are focused upon because that will be the greatest thing ever. The last of the great truths of salvation that we find in this one. Salvation keeps believers enduring to the end. Salvation keeps believers enduring to the end. My biggest prayer is that as you face trials, because you will, my biggest prayer is that you would look to the Lord and understand, and it's lessons that you'll have to learn. It's lessons that I'm continuing to learn. But to understand, even when there's that despair or that feeling that nothing is going on, God is still there. God is faithful and always will be faithful and look to what is coming. We're such a short time in this world. We have eternity to spend in, in sheer bliss with the Lord, praising Jesus Christ, praising God. And my prayer would be that you would understand that a little bit more, uh, that you would learn from your trials. Look at the trials as opportunities God, what are you teaching me? How can I praise you even more? Because that is the goal and what we need to be about in life. Let me pray for us and I'll share with you just uh, a couple thoughts or questions. Uh, Lord, may you help us to be like the Old Testament and New Testament characters of the Bible who understood that even when utter despair was placed upon them, they still could cling to you. God, uh, we don't like trials. We like to be comfortable. And yet trials will come. So may you ground our faith upon Jesus Christ. May we stand upon the rock that is immovable. And when trials come and as we look back on them, may we see that we prevailed through it, not on our own strength, but through your strength. And may we rejoice greatly because you are the God of salvation. And your salvation is great. Thank you for being a God that is so good. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.